0: Chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians by Martin Luther Translated by Theodore Graebner Chapter 3 The Apostle now goes to work to explain the province and purpose of the law. Verse 19 Wherefore then serveth the law? The question naturally arises. If the law was not given for righteousness or salvation, why was it given? Why did God give the law in the first place if it cannot justify a person? The Jews believed if they kept the law they would be saved. When they heard that the gospel proclaimed a Christ who had come into the world to save sinners and not the righteous, when they heard that sinners were to... ENTER THE KINGDOM OF HEAVEN BEFORE THE RIGHTEOUS, THE JEWS WERE VERY MUCH PUT OUT. THEY MURMURED, THESE LAST HAVE WROUGHT BUT ONE HOUR, AND THOU HAST MADE THEM EQUAL UNTO US, WHICH HAVE borne THE BURDEN AND HEAT OF THE DAY. MATTHEW 20.12 THEY COMPLAINED THAT THE HEATHEN, WHO AT ONE TIME HAD BEEN WORSHIPPERS OF IDOLS, obtained grace without the drudgery of the law that was theirs. Today we hear the same complaints. What was the use of our having lived in a cloister twenty, thirty, forty years? What was the sense of having vowed chastity, poverty, obedience? What good are all the masses and canonical hours that we read? What profit is there in fasting, praying, etc.? if any man or woman any beggar or scour woman is to be made equal to us or even be considered more acceptable unto god than we reason takes offence at the statement of paul the law was added because of transgressions people say that paul abrogated the law that he is a radical that he blasphemed god when he said that people say we might as well live like wild people if the law does not count let us abound in sin that grace may abound let us do evil that good may come of it what are we to do such scoffing distresses us but we cannot stop it christ himself was accused of being a blasphemer and rebel Paul and all the other apostles were told the same things. Let the scoffers slander us. Let them spare us not. But we must not on their account keep silent. We must speak frankly in order that afflicted consciences may find surcease. Neither are we to pay any attention to the foolish and ungodly people for abusing our doctrine. They are the kind that would scoff, law or no law. Our first consideration must be the comfort of troubled consciences, that they may not perish with the multitudes. When he saw that some were offended at his doctrine, while others found in it encouragement to live after the flesh, Paul comforted himself with the thought, that it was his duty to preach the gospel to the elect of god and that for their sake he must endure all things like paul we also do all these things for the sake of god's elect as for the scoffers and sceptics i am so disgusted with them that all my life i would not open my mouth for them once I wish that they were back there, where they belong, under the iron heel of the Pope. People foolish, but wise in their conceits, jump to the conclusion, If the law does not justify, it is good for nothing. How about that? Because money does not justify, would you say that money is good for nothing? because the eyes do not justify would you have them taken out because the law does not justify it does not follow that the law is without value we must find and define the proper purpose of the law we do not offhand condemn the law because we say it does not justify we say with paul that the law is good if it is used properly Within its proper sphere, the law is an excellent thing. But if we ascribe to the law functions for which it was never intended, we pervert not only the law, but also the gospel. It is the universal impression that righteousness is obtained through the deeds of the law. This impression is instinctive and therefore doubly dangerous gross sins and vices may be recognized or else repressed by the threat of punishment but this sin this opinion of man's own righteousness refuses to be classified as sin it wants to be esteemed as high-class religion hence it constitutes the mighty influence of the devil over the entire world In order to point out the true office of the law, and thus to stamp out that false impression of the righteousness of the law, Paul answers the question, Wherefore then serveth the law? with the words, verse 19, It was added because of transgressions. All things differ let everything serve its unique purpose let the sun shine by day the moon and the stars by night let the sea furnish fish the earth grain the woods trees etc let the law also serve its unique purpose it must not step out of character and take the place of anything else what is the function of the law? Transgression, answers the Apostle. The Twofold Purpose of the Law The law has a twofold purpose. One purpose is civil. God has ordained civil laws to punish crime. Every law is given to restrain sin. Does it not then make men righteous? no in refraining from murder adultery theft or other sins i do so under compulsion because i fear the jail the noose the electric chair these restrain me as iron bars restrain a lion and a bear otherwise they would tear everything to pieces such forceful restraint cannot be regarded as righteousness rather as an indication of unrighteousness as a wild beast is tied to keep it from running amuck, so the law bridles mad and furious man to keep him from running wild. The need for restraint shows plainly enough that those who need the law are not righteous, but wicked men who are fit to be tied. No, the law does not justify. The first purpose of the law, accordingly, is to restrain the wicked. The devil gets people into all kinds of scrapes. Therefore, God instituted governments, parents, laws, restrictions, and civil ordinances. At least they help to tie the devil's hands so that he does not rage up and down the earth. This civil restraint by the law is intended by God for the preservation of all things particularly for the good of the gospel, that it should not be hindered too much by the tumult of the wicked. But Paul is not now treating of this civil use and function of the law. The second purpose of the law is spiritual and divine. Paul describes this spiritual purpose of the law in the words, because of transgressions, i.e., TO REVEAL TO A PERSON HIS SIN, BLINDNESS, MISERY, HIS IGNORANCE, HATRED, AND CONTEMPT OF GOD, HIS DEATH, HELL, AND CONDEMNATION. THIS IS THE PRINCIPAL PURPOSE OF THE LAW AND ITS MOST VALUABLE CONTRIBUTION. AS LONG AS A PERSON IS NOT A MURDERER, ADULTERER, THIEF, HE WOULD SWEAR THAT HE IS RIGHTEOUS. How is God going to humble such a person except by the law? The law is the hammer of death, the thunder of hell, and the lightning of God's wrath to bring down the proud and shameless hypocrites. When the law was instituted on Mount Sinai, it was accompanied by lightning, by storms, by the sound of trumpets, to tear to pieces that monster called self-righteousness. As long as a person thinks he is right, he is going to be incomprehensibly proud and presumptuous. He is going to hate God, despite his grace and mercy, and ignore the promises in Christ. The gospel of the free forgiveness of sins through Christ will never appeal to the self-righteous. This monster of self-righteousness, this stiff-necked beast, needs a big axe. And that is what the law is, a big axe. Accordingly, the proper use and function of the law is to threaten until the conscience is scared stiff. The awful spectacle at Mount Sinai portrayed the proper use of the law. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, a feeling of singular holiness possessed them. They boasted, We are the people of God. All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. Exodus 19.8 This feeling of holiness was heightened when Moses ordered them to wash their clothes to refrain from their wives, and to prepare themselves all around. The third day came, and Moses led the people out of their tents to the foot of the mountain into the presence of the Lord. What happened? When the children of Israel saw the whole mountain burning and smoking, the black clouds rent by fierce lightning flashing up and down in the inky darkness, WHEN THEY HEARD THE SOUND OF THE TRUMPET BLOWING LOUDER AND LONGER, SHATTERED BY THE ROLL OF THUNDER, THEY WERE SO FRIGHTENED THAT THEY BEGGED MOSES, SPEAK THOU WITH US, AND WE WILL HEAR, BUT LET NOT GOD SPEAK WITH US, LEST WE DIE. EXODUS 20.19 I ASK YOU, WHAT GOOD DID THEIR SCRUBBING? their snow-white clothes and their continents do them no good at all not a single one could stand in the presence of the glorious lord stricken by the terror of god they fled back into their tents as if the devil were after them the law is meant to produce the same effect today which it produced at mount sinai long ago I want to encourage all who fear God, especially those who intend to become ministers of the gospel, to learn from the apostle the proper use of the law. I fear that after our time the right handling of the law will become a lost art. Even now, although we continually explain the separate functions of the law and the gospel, we have those among us who do not understand how the law should be used what will it be like when we are dead and gone we want it understood that we do not reject the law as our opponents claim on the contrary we uphold the law we say the law is good if it is used for the purposes for which it was designed to check civil transgression and to magnify spiritual transgressions the law is also a light like the gospel but instead of revealing the grace of god righteousness and life the law brings sin death and the wrath of god to light this is the business of the law and here the business of the law ends and should go no further the business of the gospel on the other hand is to quicken to comfort, to raise the fallen. The gospel carries the news that God, for Christ's sake, is merciful to the most unworthy sinners, if they will only believe that Christ, by his death, has delivered them from sin and everlasting death unto grace, forgiveness, and everlasting life. By keeping in mind the difference between the law and the gospel, we let each perform its special task. Of this difference between the law and the gospel, nothing can be discovered in the writings of the monks or scholastics, nor, for that matter, in the writings of the ancient fathers. Augustine understood the difference somewhat. Jerome and others knew nothing of it. The silence in the church concerning the difference between the law and the gospel has resulted in untold harm. Unless a sharp distinction is maintained between the purpose and function of the law and the gospel, the Christian doctrine cannot be kept free from error. Verse 19. It was added because of transgressions in other words, that transgressions might be recognized as such, and thus increased. When sin, death, and the wrath of God are revealed to a person by the law, he grows impatient, complains against God, and rebels. Before that he was a very holy man. He worshipped and praised God. He bowed his knees before God and gave thanks like the Pharisee. But now that sin and death are revealed to him by the law, he wishes there were no God. The law inspires hatred of God. Thus sin is not only revealed by the law, sin is actually increased and magnified by the law. The law is a mirror to show a person what he is like, A sinner who is guilty of death and worthy of everlasting punishment. What is this bruising and beating by the hand of the law to accomplish? This, that we may find the way to grace. The law is an usher to lead the way to grace. God is the God of the humble, the miserable, the afflicted. It is his nature. TO EXALT THE HUMBLE, TO COMFORT THE SORROWING, TO HEAL THE BROKENHEARTED, TO JUSTIFY THE SINNERS, AND TO SAVE THE CONDEMNED. THE FATUOUS IDEA THAT A PERSON CAN BE HOLY BY HIMSELF DENIES GOD THE PLEASURE OF SAVING SINNERS. GOD MUST, THEREFORE, FIRST TAKE THE SLEDGEHAMMER OF THE LAW IN HIS FISTS and smashed the beast of self-righteousness and its brood of self-confidence self-wisdom self-righteousness and self-help when the conscience has been thoroughly frightened by the law it welcomes the gospel of grace with its message of a saviour who came into the world not to break the bruised reed nor to quench the smoking flax, but to preach glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to grant forgiveness of sins to all the captives. Man's folly, however, is so prodigious that instead of embracing the message of grace with its guarantee of the forgiveness of sin for Christ's sake, man finds himself more lost to satisfy his conscience. If I live, says he, I will mend my life, I will do this, I will do that. Man, if you don't do the very opposite, if you don't send Moses with the law back to Mount Sinai and take the hand of Christ, pierced for your sins, you will never be saved. When the law drives you to the point of despair, let it drive you a little further. Let it drive you straight into the arms of Jesus who says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 19 Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law is not to have its say indefinitely. We must know how long the law is to put in its licks. If it hammers away too long, no person would and could be saved. The law has a boundary beyond which it must not go. How long ought the law to hold sway? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. THAT MAY BE TAKEN LITERALLY TO MEAN UNTIL THE TIME OF THE GOSPEL. FROM THE DAYS OF JOHN THE BAPTIST, SAYS JESUS, UNTIL NOW THE KINGDOM OF HEAVEN SUFFERETH VIOLENCE, AND THE VIOLENT TAKE IT BY FORCE. FOR ALL THE PROPHETS IN THE LAW PROPHESIED UNTIL JOHN. MATTHEW 11, 12, 13. WHEN CHRIST CAME, THE LAW AND THE CEREMONIES OF MOSES CEASED. SPIRITUALLY IT MEANS THAT THE LAW IS NOT TO OPERATE ON A PERSON AFTER HE HAS BEEN HUMBLED AND FRIGHTENED BY THE EXPOSURE OF HIS SINS AND THE WRATH OF GOD. WE MUST THEN SAY TO THE LAW, MR. LAW, LAY OFF HIM, HE HAS HAD ENOUGH. You scared him good and proper. Now it is the gospel's turn. Now let Christ, with his gracious lips, talk to him of better things, grace, peace, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. Verse 19. AND IT WAS ORDAINED BY ANGELS IN THE HAND OF A MEDIATOR. THE APOSTLE DIGRESSES A LITTLE FROM HIS IMMEDIATE THEME. SOMETHING OCCURRED TO HIM, AND HE THROWS IT IN BY THE WAY. IT OCCURRED TO HIM THAT THE LAW DIFFERS FROM THE GOSPEL IN ANOTHER RESPECT, IN RESPECT TO AUTHORSHIP. THE LAW WAS DELIVERED BY THE ANGELS, BUT THE GOSPEL BY THE LORD HIMSELF. Hence, the gospel is superior to the law, as the word of a Lord is superior to the word of his servant. The law was handed down by a being even inferior to the angels by a middleman named Moses. Paul wants us to understand that Christ is the mediator of a better testament than mediator Moses of the law. Moses led the people out of their tents to meet God but they ran away that is how good a mediator moses was paul says how can the law justify when that whole sanctified people of israel and even mediator moses trembled at the voice of god what kind of righteousness do you call that when people run away from it and hate it the worst way If the law could justify, people would love the law. But look at the children of Israel running away from it. The flight of the children of Israel from Mount Sinai indicates how people feel about the law. They don't like it. If this were the only argument to prove that salvation is not by the law, this one Bible history would do the work. WHAT KIND OF RIGHTEOUSNESS IS THIS LAW RIGHTEOUSNESS, WHEN AT THE COMMENCEMENT EXERCISES OF THE LAW, MOSES AND THE SCRUBBED PEOPLE RUN AWAY FROM IT SO FAST THAT AN IRON MOUNTAIN, THE RED SEA EVEN, COULD NOT HAVE stopped THEM UNTIL THEY WERE BACK IN EGYPT ONCE AGAIN. IF THEY COULD NOT HEAR THE LAW, HOW COULD THEY EVER HOPE TO PERFORM THE LAW? If all the world had stood at the mountain, all the world would have hated the law and fled from it, as the children of Israel did. The whole world is an enemy of the law. How, then, can anyone be justified by the law when everyone hates the law and its divine author? All this goes to show how little the scholastics know about the law they do not consider its spiritual effect and purpose which is not to justify or to pacify afflicted consciences but to increase sin to terrify the conscience and to produce wrath in their ignorance the papists spout about god's good will and right judgment and man's capacity to perform the law of god ask the people of israel who were present at the presentation of the law on mount sinai whether what the scholastics say is true ask david who often complains in the psalms that he was cast away from god and in hell that he was frantic about his sin and sick at the thought of the wrath and judgment of god no the law does not justify verse 20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one. Here the apostle briefly compares the two mediators, Moses and Christ. A mediator, says Paul, is not a mediator of one. He is necessarily a mediator of two, the offender and the offended moses was such a mediator between the law and the people who were offended at the law they were offended at the law because they did not understand its purpose that was the veil which moses put over his face the people were also offended at the law because they could not look at the bare face of moses it shone with the glory of god when moses addressed the people He had to cover his face with that veil of his. They could not listen to their mediator Moses without another mediator, the veil. The law had to change its face and voice. In other words, the law had to be made tolerable to the people. Thus covered, the law no longer spoke to the people in its undisguised majesty. It became more tolerable to the conscience this explains why men fail to understand the law properly with the result that they become secure and presumptuous hypocrites one of two things has to be done either the law must be covered with a veil and then it loses its full effectiveness or it must be unveiled and then the full blast of its force kills Man cannot stand the law without a veil over it. Hence, we are forced either to look beyond the law to Christ, or we go through life as shameless hypocrites and secure sinners. Paul says a mediator is not a mediator of one. Moses could not be a mediator of God only, for God needs no mediator. Again, moses could not be a mediator of the people only he was a mediator between god and the people it is the office of a mediator to conciliate the party that is offended and to placate the party that is the offender however moses mediation consisted only in changing the tone of the law to make it more tolerable to the people moses was merely a mediator of the veil he could not supply the ability to perform the law what do you suppose would have happened if the law had been given without a mediator and the people had been denied the services of a go-between the people would have perished or in case they had escaped they would have required the services of another mediator to preserve them alive and to keep the law in force. Moses came along, and he was made the mediator. He covered his face with a veil, but that is as much as he could do. He could not deliver men's consciences from the terror of the law. The sinner needs a better mediator. That better mediator is Jesus Christ. He does not change the voice of the law, nor does he hide the law with a veil. He takes the full blast of the wrath of the law and fulfills its demands most meticulously. Of this better mediator, Paul says, A mediator is not a mediator of one. We are the offending party. God is the party offended. The offense is of such a nature that God cannot pardon it. Neither can we render adequate satisfaction for our offenses. There is discord between God and us. Could not God revoke His law? No. How about running away from God? It cannot be done. It took Christ to come between us and God and to reconcile God to us. How did Christ do it? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Colossians 2.14 This one word mediator, is proof enough that the law cannot justify. Otherwise, we should not need a mediator. In Christian theology, the law does not justify. In fact, it has the contrary effect. The law alarms us. It magnifies our sins until we begin to hate the law and its divine author. Would you call this being justified by the law can you imagine a more errant outrage than to hate god and to abhor his law what an excellent law it is listen i am the lord thy god which have brought thee out of the land of egypt out of the house of bondage thou shalt have no other gods showing mercy unto thousands Honour thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land. Exodus 20, 2, 3, 6, 12 Are these not excellent laws, perfect wisdom? Let not God speak with us, lest we die, cried the children of Israel. Is it not amazing that a person should refuse to hear things that are good for him? Any person would be glad to hear. I should think that he has a gracious God who shows mercy unto thousands. Is it not amazing that people hate the law that promotes their safety and welfare, e.g., thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal? The law can do nothing for us except to arouse the conscience. Before the law comes to me, I feel no sin, but when the law comes, sin, death, and hell are revealed to me. You would not call this being made righteous. You would call it being condemned to death and hellfire. Verse 20 But God is one. God does not offend anybody, therefore he needs no mediator but we offend god therefore we need a mediator and we need a better mediator than moses we need christ end of chapter 3 verses 19 through 20 of commentary on saint paul's epistle to the galatians recording by bill mosley froelsburg texas U.S.A.